Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor, and I want to invite you to, if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Romans 3. We're going to jump to 1 John chapter 1, though, pretty quickly. The verses we're looking at are in the bulletin. Uh, there's also a place there to take notes. But before we look into the Bible, I, I want to ask you just to remember something for me. Try to remember the last time that you were really hurt by someone that you cared about. Okay, someone you cared about and they hurt you. Uh, maybe it was a spouse, someone you're dating, um, could have been a, one of your kids or a parent uh, or a close friend. Um, we're in this series called Us Versus Them and how we sort of build silos and we wall ourselves off and, and sometimes it's not race or politics or cultural issues that separate us. Sometimes it's just the pain of relationships that can create walls between us that can make us sort of feel like there's something that we're worthy us and the person that hurt us becomes the them. Um, the walls go up, we get defensive. Um, let me ask you this though, as you think about the last time that person you cared about hurt you, um, what if that person cared so much about you that they wanted to own responsibility for what they did? Um, what if that person came to you and made you, not, they, they said they were sorry, but they, you, they actually, you could tell and feel like they really cared, that they weren't just apologizing in words only, but that from their heart they felt the pain that they inflicted on you and wanted to own that and make it right. I mean, what if they said that it wasn't just what I did, but it was how it made you feel that matters? That even beyond what I said, the fact that I belittled you or the fact that I made you feel like you were worthless, you know, the more that, like the, the sort of the more, the farther that they go in their apology, the farther that they go in, again, not just words, but making you feel like they get what they did and they care about what they did, um, something happens to us, doesn't it? When someone really seems to want to own responsibility, want to take responsibility, um, these are more and more powerful ways for them to apologize. And the more that they do that, the more you feel understood, right? The more you feel cared for, the more you feel loved. And as you feel that, something else happens. You begin to lean in to them. Um, if in their apology they express a desire to change and the fact that they need help, you, there's something inside of you that wants to help them change. You actually want to be part of the solution. So you go from forgiving them to wanting to add any of your influence, any of your power, any of your self to helping the process of change. Guess what? The same thing happens with God. Okay, the same thing happens with God. Um, because apart from relationships with other people, although that's often the, the seedbed for this, we struggle to grow, don't we? Like we want to grow. We want to become better people. We want to become better versions of ourselves. And oftentimes we can't. Um, we wonder why we can't change. And sometimes it's our behavior in a relationship with a spouse or in dating, with our kids or our coworkers maybe at work. Um, there are things in us that just don't seem to go away. And we wonder, like, why is that? Like, why do we struggle? Why is it so painful? Why is it so difficult? Um, we have addictions or addictive behaviors. There's bad habits that hurt us, that hurt the people around us. 
Um, there are habitual sins, sins of habit that we repeat over and over and over again. And there are times, I don't know if you're like me, where these sins of habit become things where I wonder, like, where is God in all of this? Does God just not care anymore about me? Does God love me anymore? Um, sometimes it's frustration that I'm not different. Sometimes it's like, God can't forgive me again, can he? And these are things that, that cause us to feel bad. We wonder, and in our holy moments, we want to change, but in the moments of temptation, we find ourselves doing the same things again and again and again. And whether it's drinking or drugs, whether it's pornography, or if it's just being bitter, um, just being critical of other people, these things plague us. And this is why the Bible describes people the way it does. In Romans 3, verses 9 through 12, we looked at this last week, but I just want to remind you, because we're going to use this as a jumping off point to ask, what's the solution? And so let's look. It's in your bulletin, Romans 3, 9 to 12. It'll be on the screens. Um, Paul there says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? He says, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so last week, like I said, we saw that this is a description of people's lives apart from God. This is who we're capable of being and capable of becoming without God in our lives. And this is often who we are when we reject God or we ignore him um, in our lives. And the question is, how do we get out of this? How do we get out of this passage, these verses? How do we break free from the power of sin um, and aim for a life that God desires for us, a life that he describes in other places as, as a life of glory and honor and immortality. Like, how do we live a life that's good, that is grateful, that is worshipful at every moment of every day? And the Bible has an answer for us. Um, Paul's going to begin to describe the answer later on in the book of Romans, but we're going to jump from Romans to look at one other verse in context in another book of the Bible. But the answer that the Bible gives to how to break free from the patterns of habitual sin is that change comes through confession. Okay, change comes through confession. And so the on-ramp to the glorious life is the confession of sin. All right, the road of the glorious life is consistent confession of sin. The way you get onto the road and the way that you stay on the road are the same, and it comes from confession of sin. Confessing our sins is how we reconnect with God and his power to change us. Okay, so now I don't know what you think about when you hear the phrase confession of sin. Some of you might think about a, a Roman Catholic you know, place. I remember when I was a kid, I used to have to go in, and it was kind of terrifying because... The first time I went in, I was like behind this wall and there was this sort of like silhouette on the other side. I'm like, what is going on here? And I was terrified. Um, the idea of confessing our sins to other people sometimes can freak us out. But I, I just want you to hold on and I want you to see what the Bible has to say about confessing our sins because it is the key for us to change. Confession come, or change comes through confession. And so let's read. Um, we're going to start reading 1 John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 8. And we're going to go through chapter 2, verse 2. 
Again, it's in your bulletin. We're going to start with verse 8. And so, friends, let's read this. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So I love this. I love the way this begins. Um, Let's not lie to ourselves or to God. Let's just be honest. We all sin. All of us fall short of the standard of God's glorious and honorable and immortal life. All of us um, struggle. Um, and, And this is the promise from God. There's a promise from God that makes it safe for us to admit this. And it's in verse nine. It's the next verse. So if we have no sin, we deceive our, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here it is. This is the promise from God that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to do two things. He will forgive us and he will cleanse us. Okay, he'll forgive us and he'll cleanse us. This is what the text says. Okay, can you see these two things in the text? Underline these things. If you write in your Bible, which you should, underline these two things. You can put a one next to forgive us and a two next to he cleanses us from from all our unrighteousness. Um, It's important to see these two things because sometimes we wonder or at least sometimes I do, and if you're like me, you wonder this. Sometimes with some sins, especially the ones that we commit over and over and over again, don't you wonder, like when you confess, like how does God really feel about me right now? This is the 1,684th time I've confessed this sin. Isn't God sick of this? Isn't God sick of me doing this? Isn't God tired? Isn't there a point at which God is going to say, all right, look, enough is enough. You're out of here. I'm done with you. We need to know that this is in the Bible, especially with the sins that we repeat over and over and over again. Um, And we need to hear this, not just generally in the Bible, we need to hear this in 1 John. Okay, 1 John was written by a guy named John. John right? He was one of the apostles. He was one of Jesus's 12 apostles. And so this was the group of leaders that Jesus specifically chose out of the world to represent him. Okay. Jesus gave John his authority. And John wasn't just one of the 12. John was one of the three. There were three out of the 12 that Jesus specifically spent even more time with. It was Peter, James, and John, this John. And so Um, John was also, if you read John's gospel, he wrote the gospel of John, and John wrote also about the way that Jesus responded to Peter after Peter repeatedly denied Jesus before other people. Peter braggadociously said, Jesus, the whole world may fall away. I will never fall away from you. I will never deny you. And then later that night, just a few hours later, Peter was like, nope, don't know him, nope. Don't, no, I'm not him. Nope, wasn't with him. Nope, don't know him at all. No, God damn it, I don't know him. That's what Peter said. It says that he cursed when he denied Jesus. And John wrote how Jesus sought after Peter. Jesus went after Peter, found Peter, and he restored him 
he forgave him and he cleansed him of his sins. And so we need to know that it's the same John, the same John who's writing this to us, wrote about what Jesus did for Peter because this is what we need. And with these two things that God does, we see an expression of what we call at Harbor the fullness of the gospel. Okay? Because God is faithful and just to forgive us. This is Jesus' work for us. And then he cleanses us. This is Jesus' work in us. Okay? So for us and in us. Forgiveness is his work for us. Where Jesus does things that we can't do for ourselves. Right? We need Jesus' work on the cross to be forgiven. Right? We can't forgive ourselves. We can't get ourselves forgiven by God. If God doesn't extend forgiveness to us, we are without hope. And yet, so Jesus comes, and his work on the cross is what makes God forgive us. And cleansing is Jesus' work in us. This is where Jesus does something to make us new on the inside. This is where Jesus changes us from the inside out. Forgiveness is wonderful. It wipes the slate clean. But if we're going to grow or we're going to change for the better, we need Jesus' work in us to make us new. And the rest of the passage bears out these two things. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, um, If we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So again, verse 10 is just saying, look, let's all be honest. This is talking about all of us. We're all in the same boat which is wonderfully unifying. You're not alone if you struggle with sin. And then he goes on in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And so this is the goal. The goal is that you would live a life of communion with God, that you would be free from sin's bondage, that you would love what God loves, and that you would live lives of glory and honor and immortality, that you would influence people around you, that you would live to honor God, that you would show love to the people that you work with, that you live with, that are in your community. Um, And so this is God's desire. This is John's design, right? That you would live without sin. But I love the fact that he goes on (laughs) because he says right next to it, he says, but if anyone does sin, (laughs) right? I'm writing so you won't, but if anyone does, there's hope. There's hope for you. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so John is saying Jesus is our advocate when we are guilty. When you're guilty before a court of law, you need a lawyer. You don't want to represent yourself. It just doesn't go well for lots and lots of reasons. Um, You need an advocate, someone who will plead your case on your behalf. And John says, we have an advocate. When we stand accused and are guilty because of our sin, Jesus comes to defend us. Jesus comes, and he is our advocate. When you commit your life to following Jesus, Jesus takes on this role in your life. He is your advocate. And this is Jesus The Christ. Christ isn't his last name. Christ is a title. Jesus is the king, right? This is Jesus the Christ who is righteous, right? Jesus the Christ who is righteous. This is good news because Romans 3 says there's no one righteous except for Jesus. 
There is no one who does good, but Jesus is called the righteous because he actually lived a righteous life. He actually lived a life of understanding. He lived a life seeking after God for his entire life. Jesus' life was substantial. It was weighty. It wasn't worthless. It wasn't vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. No, what Jesus did and how Jesus lived lasts forever. In his life, he patiently and consistently did good. And this is why Jesus rose from out of the dead. This is why Jesus was resurrected. It's why his life was vindicated by God the Father because he lived a perfect life. He did it. And on the cross, Jesus didn't die for himself. No, he was the propitiation for our sins. That's what the text says. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a word. It's a, um, it's a pregnant theological word. Um, it means that his death brought an end to sin. Propitiation means that God's anger against sin has been satisfied. That God's justice demands penalty and payment and punishment for sin, and Jesus has taken that punishment for us. God's wrath has been appeased. Jesus' sacrifice of himself took the punishment that our sins deserve. And again, this is Jesus' work for us. God forgives us because of Jesus' righteous life and his sacrificial death. What does this do? Well, this frees you to be honest about your sin. This is a promise from God and a reality about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus that makes it okay that you are not perfect. This makes it okay. This this gives you the freedom to go to God and confess that you are not what you're supposed to be. You have people in your life, don't you, that when you do stuff that's wrong to them, you don't want to go to them. You don't want to confess your sins because you know that they're going to use your sin against you. They don't tell you that you have a right to remain silent, but they do in practice use everything that you say against you in your relationship from that day on. They will bring up your sin whenever it makes them happy, whenever it gives them power, whenever you're fighting, if they ever do anything wrong, they're going to bring out your sin again so that you would know and remember how bad you've been, right? You have people like this in your life and you can't confess anything to them because everything that they, that everything you say will be used against you. It's not safe. God is not like that at all. God gives you amazing promises of forgiveness, amazing promises of hope, of love and assurance so that you will know that the only reason God brings up sin is to help you to be freed from it. That's God's motivation. That's God's desire. That's God's design. He brings up our sin so he can forgive you and so that he can put it in the past. And this just tells you it's a little bit of a picture of who God is and why you should spend your entire life getting to know him and walking with him. And so this is Jesus' work for us, but what about his work in us? What about Jesus changes us from the inside out? 
Right? John is writing these things to us so that we won't sin, so that we'll stop living under the power of sin. But how do we get access to that power? Well, verse 9 tells us. Verse 9 tells us that it's if we confess our sins, he'll forgive us and he'll cleanse us. So God forgives us when we sin because Jesus died for your sins. But then God goes a step further. He gets involved to help us to change. I like to think about this, um, that first, it's like a two-step process. First, God forgives us for what we do, and then he reaches into our hearts and cleanses the part of our hearts that wanted to do it. Like our sins are the blackness that grows from out of our hearts. And so I picture our actions and our words and our thoughts as growing out of our hearts, right? It's this picture of a heart, right, with things growing out of it. This is kind of like, this is us. This is what happens. And both good things and bad things grow out of our hearts. And when the bad things grow out of our hearts, bad thoughts, bad actions, bad words, hurtful things that we do, then there's this black part of our heart that produced that bad thing that grew. Make sense? Right? So it's almost like there's this like spot, these spots of black on our heart, and from those spots of black grow out the blackness of our sin. And so 1 John 1.9 then tells me that this transforming power, the cleansing of our confession of sin means that when we confess our sins, God forgives that thing that grew out of our hearts. And he also cleanses that blackened part of our heart that produced the sin. I used to picture when I was a kid, I mean, I didn't know any better. I used to picture communion was like Jesus entering into my mouth. There was this like Disney cartoon that I saw that I sort of connected this with. And Jesus was like entering into my mouth and he was carrying this like white like rag with him. And he was kind of walking into my mouth and he was going down and he was going to go find my heart. And for some reason, I pictured my heart kind of like a golden chalice and it had all these marks on it. And there was Jesus like using the white rag to buff off the stuff that was on my heart. Um, I didn't know any better, but that's what he does. That's what this verse says he does. That when we confess, he goes in and he cleanses the heart that produced the sin. And so we get forgiveness and cleansing. And so this is what Jesus does. He makes our hearts cleaner, purer, more like his. And so if this is what the verse promises, then how do we apply this to our lives? Right? How can we actually make this a part of who we are so that we can live this out? Okay, we're going to talk about that next. And so I want to just give you three things on how God cleanses us. Okay? Um, how does this process work? First, we need to confess both the what and the why. Okay, so confess both the what and the why. So for some of you, this could be brand new territory. You've never really confessed your sins. For others of you, you've been doing this for a long, long time. You know that this is sort of part of the drill. Um, and sometimes it gets old, sometimes it gets frustrating, sometimes it feels worthless and irrelevant, but just, just join in here with me. We need to confess the what and the why. So knowing that God loves you, go to him and confess honestly. Knowing that God loves you, go to him and tell him what you've done. Confess it to him. Open up your heart. Open up your life. 
Tell him the things that you've done that are wrong. Tell him the things that you've said. Confess to him the thoughts that you have that are wrong. Um, Go to him. Confess the what and the why. There are times when we don't experience change because we're not actually addressing the root of the issue. Okay, and so if you find yourself repeating certain sins, they've become habitual. Uh, There's a relationship where you always do what's wrong, or there's a situation that you get yourself into where you always seem to be doing the wrong thing. Then acknowledge that this is becoming a pattern and let that become part of your confession. Okay, if you feel kind of funny because you've been here before and you've confessed this to God before, tell him that. God, I feel, eh, maybe not funny, I feel awkward, I feel nervous, I feel guilty because this isn't the first time we've done this. God, I feel, I'm starting to feel bad because I feel like I'm, I'm coming to you with this over and over and over again. Um, you want to be honest with God, and you can be that honest. You can say, God, sometimes I wonder if you are going to forgive me or not. Um, I'm holding on to this promise that I heard on Sunday from this passage that John wrote, and so I'm hoping that that's true. Um, But we need to confess both the what and the why. If you're doing something over and over again, begin to ask yourself, and you can even add this in your prayer. So you can ask yourself, and you can also ask God, why did I do this again? What's going on in my heart that's causing me to do this repeatedly? Why do I get angry? Why am I always looking at porn? Why is it that I get defensive when someone brings something up that I don't want to hear? Ask yourself that why question um, because sometimes there's a why. If we don't confess the why, it's possible that we're actually not letting God get into the deeper parts of our hearts. Okay? Um, When we do this and we confess both the what and the why, oh gosh, all right, I see. The reason that I get defensive um, and I lash out in an argument is because I feel like I need to save face in front of people. Um, That's not good. I should not work to save face if it means I'm covering up the sins that I've committed. And so now I don't just have one sin where I get defensive and angry in in an argument, or I turn a conversation into an argument. That's one sin, but the why underneath that sin is that, oh, I think I need to hide my sin from other people. I think I need to look better than I really am. I need to live a life that's that's hypocritical, right? That's a why sin that I need to now confess. Um, I mean, when it comes to porn, like, why do I look at porn? Well, I'm not content with God's parameters for my sexuality. God, I'm realizing that the reason I'm doing this is because I don't want what you want for me. I want something else. Um... That's a why sin underneath the what sin. And if we're not confessing the why sin, then in some ways we're not allowing God into that place so that he can work. We're not going to be able to hear God pronounce forgiveness for that why sin. 
And we're certainly not going to open ourselves up to let him cleanse that part of us. And so this takes our confession to a whole other level when we're confessing not just the what, but also the why. Um, So you want to confess the desires that you have that produce the sin. Um, You might need to confess the pleasure that you derive from the sin. God, I love the fact that I do this. I love doing it. I love the pleasure that I get. I mean, obviously this relates to porn, but this also relates to anger. There's a good feeling that we have to put someone else in their place. There is pleasure. We don't do sin for no reason, right? Proverbs says, stolen bread tastes sweet. There's something about getting away with something. When we do something wrong, that tastes sweet to us. And so we need to confess sometimes even the pleasure that we get from our sin. We need to own this as part of the problem because if we don't do this, we end up powerless to grow or to unseat the power of sin that's in our lives. And so, confess the what and the why. Second, we need to remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. And specifically here, we need to remember what Jesus has done for us, but remember also Jesus' work in you. Okay, remember that when you think about Jesus here, don't just think about him on the cross, but think about his perfect life. Because Jesus didn't just get all the what's right in his life. He didn't just get all the what things right in his life. Jesus also got the whys right in his life. Jesus was always motivated by a love for God and a love for others. Jesus was stronger than the temptation to be selfish. And Jesus is in you. Jesus is present with you. You will never, ever, ever be alone again. Once you commit your life to Jesus, he is always with you and he is with you in the strength of his perfect life, with the power of his perfect life. And remembering this has a cleansing effect on your heart because you can realize, wait, if Jesus is now in me, if he is with me, I'm not alone. Like this blackness is coming from my old heart, but Jesus has given me his own heart. And actually, the things that Jesus loves, I love. The things that Jesus re- like rejects, I now reject. And as you remember this element of the gospel, that Jesus is in you, it will cleanse you and make you new. And then the third thing that I would want to tell you to do to apply this is to confess and listen. Confess and listen. So when you confess, also listen. And this requires humility. It requires humility. Sometimes you go into a, to a confessional situation, whether it's God or even if you're confessing to somebody else, and you feel like you're doing them a favor. They should be grateful that you're apologizing. And so you go in wanting to say your piece, receive a specific statement from them. Oh, you're such an amazing person. Thank you so much for confessing your sins. Of course I forgive you and I love you so much. Right? You go in, you kind of feel like you're entitled to that. If I'm going to do the work of confessing, I better get that in response, right? What if you, huh, well, I won't even say what if you, what if someone else were to come to you, um, high and mighty with a confession of their own sin against you, and they have no idea 
what they actually did. But they want you to like bless them and send them off feeling great about themselves. And they've confessed something to you that isn't anywhere close to the pain that they hurt, that they inflicted on you. Right? How are you going to feel about that? And then you say, well, actually that's not really what's wrong here. It's actually this. And then they get upset with you. Right? How would you feel? This is why we have to go first. Okay? Especially with God. You want to confess and listen. So let's talk about God first. So as you confess your sins, and again, I think you want to do this with the sins that seem to be repeating themselves. You don't have to do this with every sin. Sometimes you sin, you screw up, you confess, you move on, okay? But sometimes when the sins are coming back, you want to ask God, God, is there anything else going on here? Um, Is there something else that I'm aiming for that I'm not getting that's making me do this over and over and over again? Um, God, is there something underneath? Is there a why underneath this what? And then just listen. Just pause and be silent and open yourself up and ask. I mean, just in your asking, like let God reveal something to you. And there are times when God might bring a passage of Scripture to mind that might speak to a little bit of a deeper issue going on in your heart. Sometimes God may just say, oh yeah, you're, (laughs) you're a hypocrite. Or you know what? You are more concerned about what other people think of you than you are concerned about the truth. Um, God might say to you, you know what? You're just using your confession to manipulate the other person into getting what you want. Um, God may put some things that can lead us into a deeper confession. Um, And so... And so I want you to, I mean, these three steps are really going to be helpful for you in dealing with God. They're also, I think, good in dealing with other people. Like if you've got sins to confess to other people, I would also encourage you to remember um, to remember these three steps, especially one and three, when you go to someone else. If you walk in these three steps, something's going to happen. I want you to watch for something in your life because what you're going to see is you're going, to get, you're going to get to watch God cleanse your heart. If you do these three things, God is going to cleanse your heart. And let me show you what I mean. I want to show you that how this process has worked in my own life in specific ways to help me grow. Okay? This is my normal life. Okay? Let me show you this in seven steps. I've got normal life. Temptation comes to sin. I wrestle with the temptation. Not always, but, you know, then I give in to sin. There's brokenness and sorrow in my heart. Then there's forgiveness and cleansing, and then I'm back to normal life. Okay? Anybody ever, I mean, you get this, right? Okay, well, so what's the key to going from five to six, right? From going brokenness and sorrow to forgiveness and cleansing? It's confession, right? So it's confession. Confession comes between five and six. When we confess our sins, it's the key to experience forgiveness and cleansing. So here's what I've experienced in my life. I go through this process over and over and over again, like almost every day, right? Sometimes with the same stuff, sometimes with different things. What I've learned, what I've learned is that the more that I own the brokenness and the sorrow that my sins cause, something begins to shift and change in my heart. 
as I confess my sins and really actually express sorrow and mourning over the brokenness um, and the damage that my sins do to my relationship with God, to my relationship with other people, there's a memory of that confession that actually begins to show up earlier in this process. Um, there are times the memory of the, of the hurt that I do to other people actually begins to move up in the process and it actually begins to jump up even to come before step four. And so there are times when this confession actually begins to show up the next time in the process of wrestling with temptation. Do you understand what I'm saying? So normal life is going on, I'm presented with a temptation to sin, and I begin to wrestle with the temptation. I begin to entertain it. Oh, do I want to do this? Or I feel the pain or the anger building up inside of me. And then all of a sudden I remember, wait a second, hold on. I know where this is going. And actually, I don't want to experience the brokenness and the sorrow from the last 150,000 times I've done this. I don't want to experience or reduplicate the pain that I inflicted on somebody else the last time. And so I'm going to catch myself and I'm going to go to God and I'm going to tell him right now, God, I am wrestling with temptation. I don't think I've given into the sin yet, but I know what's going to happen if I do. I know how I'm going to feel. I know what I'm going to, how the damage I'm going to do. And in that moment, the confession moves up into the process of wrestling and I confess it, and I remember the gospel in that moment. And it's not, Jesus, thank you for dying for, or Jesus, please forgive me for the sins that I've just committed, but it's, Jesus, wait, rescue me from committing this sin that I'm about to commit. Jesus, rescue me from giving in to the sin that is right before me that I'm wrestling with. Jesus, help me right now. I don't want to wait until after I've sinned, but I want to confess to you right now that there's a part of me that wants this. There's a part of me that's wrestling with this. There's a part of me that wants to go down this road that I've gone down so many other times before. Could you meet me now and remind me that, wait a second, this is not what I want because what I want is you. Friends, the better job you do in the step of confessing, when you confess the what and the why, when you remember the gospel, when you, um, yeah, when you confess and you listen, you give yourself a better opportunity to remember to confess earlier in the process. And as you do this, as you do this, it'll continue to move up farther and farther and farther um, in the process. And so I've had situations come where, again, like before the wrestling, now just even when the temptation comes, when I know, oh, hey, I'm coming home, it's late at night, I'm all by myself, I know what, where this normally goes. And so, Jesus, I'm confessing to you that in the past, I've committed significant repeated sin in my life, and I don't want that to happen tonight. And so before I get into the situation where I've stumbled so many times before, I want to confess that there's a part of my heart that doesn't care about you at all. And I want to kill that part of me because I love you more than I love this. 
Jesus, I'm about to have a conversation with somebody and I know that I'm going to feel defensive. I know I'm going to feel like I'm not being heard. Jesus, I know it's going to make me angry and I need you to rescue me now. I'm not feeling it yet, but I know I will. And so would you make me new right now? Remind me that you're in me. Remind me that I'm not alone. Remind me that you are mine and I am yours. And so even when the temptation hits, you're already strengthened. You've already been prepared. And this is the healthiest place to be. And this is the power of God. This is how God cleanses us. This is how our confession sort of trickles back into the process of sin and temptation. And so again, when you do this, when you confess the what and the why, when you remember the gospel that Jesus is in you, and when you work at growing, like when you, when you confess and you listen to the issues that God brings up, that's how you work this back. That's how you become strong. That's how you put on what the Bible calls the armor of God um, so that you're protected and you begin to live the glorious life. You begin to live a life that overcomes sin, that expresses the power of God alive and at work in you. Friends, walk in this. Walk in this this week. Practice this this week with your sin. Um, and I would encourage you not to do it alone. Invite someone else into the process of your struggle with sin um, because those two things, this process with God and if somebody else is there knowing and you're talking about it, man, it's going to hockey stick for you this week. I mean, your life, your power is going to grow exponentially in the struggles that you have. And for those of you who aren't Christians, and I want to encourage you, this is the power that Jesus wants to unleash in your life. Um, he wants to rescue you from a life of sin and bondage. He wants to set you free. And so if this, if anything that you've heard today gives you hope, lean in and confess your sins to Jesus. He'll give you this power as you confess and you begin to walk this road with the rest of us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you um, for the hope that's in this verse. Thank you for the promise and the power that comes when we confess our sins. God, thank you um, for not calling us to fix ourselves, but for coming to, to take the punishment that our sins deserve so that you might set us free. Draw all of us, Jesus. Show each one of us, even right now, in the quietness of our hearts, show us the sins that we need to pay more attention to, to make right with you. Help us to confess both the what and the why right now. And lead us to a deeper understanding of the gospel so that we can walk with you. And we'll give you all the credit. We pray in Jesus' name.